it all comes down to this. The one thing. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I did the unthinkable this past weekend. Well, I guess a week and a half ago, technically. Uh, I packed up my family and we went on a vacation um, through the means of a road trip. That was the enthusiasm going into it. And then we started the road trip. And uh, real quick, anyone, you ever done a road trip with young kids? So I will say this, to my kids' credit, um, they, they pulled it off. They did a lot better than my wife and I thought. But we had the, like, the stereotypical, um, you're so excited for a relaxing vacation with your family, right? And then the morning you leave, you, like, you oversleep. You can't find the things that you packed. And like, literally all hell broke loose in, our, in our, our home that morning. And we just sat there. This is the woman that I loved. I have pledged to serve her my whole life. And I'm looking at her and she's looking at me. And we never said it, but we both thought it of like, what type of monster have you become? Like... <laughs> It was just, we're like, ah, but we love each other. And, and all, you know, we're super excited. And so finally we got, you know, and we learned some lessons along the way. I learned that years and years of playing Tetris does in fact pay off because man, I finagled those suitcases perfectly in the trunk and I was real proud of myself. Um, I also learned this, that it doesn't matter how epic your vacation is with your family. All the kids really want to do is swim in the hotel pool. Anyone? <laughs> By the way, Disney knows this, right? They built a theme park, two of them in Southern California, right? You can go there and what do they want? There's just pools. There's pools everywhere for all the kids to swim in because really all they want to do is swim in the pool. Now, I learned a couple other things and, and this brought great clarity to the experience because we thought we were going on a family vacation and we were doing this road trip. Turns out there's a difference between a family vacation and a destination wedding. Let me explain. We were going to a, a wedding that was in Montana. That was the destination. That was the purpose of the trip. Our focus got off from the beginning because we thought we were doing a family vacation to Montana. Now, let me say this. The wedding was beautiful. The experience was beautiful. What was not beautiful was the beginning because our focus was on the wrong thing. Turns out this whole trip wasn't about me. It wasn't about my wife, our kids. It wasn't about our family. It was about other people. Now it took us a while because we're going to these places, right? And you're making stops and the kids are like, oh, we should go do that. And oh, that thing looks cool. And we're making lists, right? Of like, okay, we gotta come back and we have to do all the things, right? And I got tired of telling my kids no and they didn't understand why we were saying no to all these amazing things. To the point where my seven-year-old, he's so manipulative. He looks at me, he goes, dad, with the big eye, right? Like mm, the puppy dog eyes. And he goes, dad, we're missing out on creating memories as a family. <laughs> and I'm like, how yeah! I'm like, how dare you? Don't you want us to be happy? And I'm like, you are just like your father, whoever he is. I don't know. But this, this whole idea of focus, man, because once we had the right focus, right, everything else just fell in place. It made perfect sense. And now when we bypass an opportunity, it, it made perfect sense. We didn't get upset about it. We weren't bet out of shape because why? That, that was not the purpose of the trip. The purpose of the trip was to go and support and celebrate a marriage. It wasn't about us at all. It was about other people. And once we got that locked in, man, all the other things just seemed to fall in place. And so I share that story with you, one, because um, you need to know that anytime a teaching pastor comes back from a vacation and a conference, which I did both, um, we have a lot to say. <laughs> 
And you know this, if you've done a road trip, right? You pass through the, the mountains right there and then it just becomes flat and brown and dead and your family-friendly playlist, you've already listened to it three times. So I'm driving here and zoning everything out and it's me and it's God. So buckle up, family. We got a lot to talk about in a very short amount of time. So, uh, but here, here's the deal. Um, to the point where I, I was supposed to do chapters 11 and 12. And I read chapters 11 and 12 and I thought, okay, I, I think I know where we're going. And then I made the mistake. I kept reading the Bible. And I went to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 13 and I, I read the first three verses and I went, oh, I missed it. My focus was way off. And so what I wanna do with our time this morning is I wanna walk us through that because, because, because if you're anything like me, your focus has been off. It's been on the wrong things. Even, even though they're good things, there's actually something that's more important. It's even better that we need to focus on. And when we focus on this thing, everything else will fall into its appropriate place. Now, the danger for Christians, the danger for any church is that we focus on the wrong things and we feel really good about it. Buckle up. I'm supposed to talk about spiritual gifts and communion. So instead of reading chapters 11 and 12, I'm gonna summarize 12, we're gonna read 13 and we're gonna conclude with 11. <laughs> Going on a road trip. If you got your Bibles, if you got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let me summarize chapter 12. Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have a spiritual gift or gifts, plural. It's amazing. And God has given you these gifts so that you can use them to bless other people, to build up the church, to bless other people who do not yet want to be a part of the church or know Jesus. These gifts are not to promote ourselves and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. They are others focused. This is very important, others focused. Also, Paul will go on to say, there are no hierarchy of gifts. They all come from the same God. That God lives inside every follower of Jesus Christ. There is no hierarchy. One spiritual gift is not better, superior, godlier, holier than others. And the problem in the church is that they were going, ah, oh, you've got that gift, that's amazing. And those gifts, I mean, you know, mediocre at best, but at least you don't have those like behind the scene gifts. Like those are, you know, those are helpful and all, but no one really wants those gifts, those behind the scene people. By the way, quick shout out to all tech people for all your behind the scenes work. Cause we don't, we don't think about this often, but um, if, if they go away uh, or they get frustrated and hit the mute button, <laughs> bite everyone yell. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I love you guys. Please don't flip the, the breaker and like turn the lights off and all that stuff. This doesn't happen without those uh, quote unquote behind the scenes gifts. Okay, all the gifts are valuable and we are all blessed by all of the gifts. This is Paul's message. Here, this is what he's saying in chapter 12. Um, I'll give you a short list of, uh, well, I'll read the gifts that Paul mentions in this passage. You need to know that there, this is not an exhaustive list. There are other lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts, okay? This is just kind of a, a sampling. Um, I, I do wanna recommend this if you're unsure of what your spiritual gift is. You should go to our website at ncctk.com and click on next steps. We have a shape class, a shape class. And part of that class is to help you discern and figure out what your spiritual gifts are. And that class will help plug you into a specific ministry um, or department within our church so that you can use your spiritual gifts. Please don't think by me just summarizing this chapter that um, I'm devaluing that. It's very important. I just discovered there's something more importanter, er, er, <laughs> importanter than 
than this. So it, this all makes sense in a minute. It's terrible grammar, but it's phenomenal theology. So stay with me. Here, here's the list of spiritual gifts that he mentions. He says, some people, they've got words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Some people, they have the gift of discerning spirits. Is this of God or is this not? And by the way, if you've ever been at a crossroads in your life, you're like, do I go left? Do I go right? Up, down, sideways? Well, I, I don't know what I want to do. You want to be around people that have those gifts. They're going to help guide you in your, in your decision-making process. It's very important. He goes on. You've got gifts of faith, gifts of healing, of miracles. You've got gifts of people who are speaking in tongues, people that can interpret those tongues. You have gifts of prophecy. You have a lot of gifts. And again, the main thing is that all of us figure out what our gifts are, and we use those gifts. And, and here's the deal. Um, it, it's not something that we cooked up, or it's not a, a talent. This is, in fact, a gift that the Holy Spirit has given us. And so our job is to receive it and then steward it very well. And that gift always, always, always is others focused. It's not for building myself up and my own ego so I feel better about myself. No, 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 no. It's about building other people up. So I encourage you, you need to sign up for the, the shape class. Um, even you can get the ball rolling and just do a Google search on spiritual gifts like inventories or assessments that will help kind of guide you or at least point you in a direction to get you started. You really need to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ and be praying through some of these things and having really good conversations to get some guidance on what your gift is. Now, as important as spiritual gifts are, like I said, there is something that is more important to her than your spiritual gifts. And I read it and it wrecked me. And I'm telling you, it messed me up. So I'm gonna walk us through it and I hope in the best way possible, it messes all of us up this morning. Because I think, I think it'll work out in the end. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through three. Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have, what's that word? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now imagine for a moment, these are spiritual gifts using to go and bless other people. But if you do not have love, Paul says, just imagine, I walked up here with a giant cymbal. I just stole one from the drum set and I'm just smacking the cymbal and I'm trying to speak over it. What's that cymbal gonna do? It's gonna, first off, it's gonna annoy everybody and it'll drown out what I'm saying, won't it? It's useless, isn't it? What's the point? It's just noise, it's distracting, it's annoying and, I, and no one's gonna be able to decipher what I'm hearing over the noise, right? This is what Paul's saying. Verse two, he goes on. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Wow, I am nothing. Verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And friends, I have missed this. I've been a pastor for, I don't know, 10 plus years, over 10, carry the one, more than a decade. And here's what's fascinating. In every church, we all have metrics. We all have metrics. Is it church attendance? Is it growth? How many prayers? How many people are going to a class, to a small group? Are people moving? Because we're trying to gauge and measure spiritual growth. And I have spent so many dollars that faithful Christians have, have given to the church, entrusted to the church to further the gospel. And I've been in charge and overseen and created events. And we said, how many people showed up? Did these people come back? And boom, boom, boom. We went through all the lists, but we weren't loving to the people that were there. And according to Paul, I went, oh no. It was all for not. 
And in the church, this is so dangerous. We can say, we've had this many people, we've dumped and baptized this many people. These many people took a class. These people found their spiritual gifts. And these people, look at all the money we're writing and we're sending overseas to go and bless other people. But if we don't have love, we gain nothing. And I went, oh Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Because I have been the point person I have ran events and brought people in and I have preached things from a platform with a microphone and I have said things about certain groups of people and I had hurt them unintentionally and truth be told, intentionally on some parts and I have hurt people with this thing. And I thought it was great because we checked these boxes over here. I mean, look at the report card, right? The graph, it goes up and to the right the whole way. Look at it, all the metrics that we made. I did all of the things and they go, oh, I wasn't loving. There's a warning in here, isn't there? We can do all the things, memorize the Bible verses and go and get the stamps and the check marks. But if we do not love one another, if we do not love people that do not come to our church, that do not wanna be a part of our church, that want nothing to do with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if we do not love them, we gain nothing. And I'm telling you, I missed it. Because my focus was on something else. And it was good. And my intentions were pure. And I believe to some extent it was fruitful. But apparently, it was a giant waste of time. That messed me up. So I'm driving in the car and I got, there's nothing to look at. So it's me, my thoughts, and Jesus. And we had some conversations and I just went, I think, I think I got some work to do. See this love he's talking about. It's not just, you know, feel really good. It's not a romantic love. It's not a, I love pizza love. This is a deep and profound love. In the Greek language, there's about four words that we use for love. This is the word agape. This is the type of love we get from God. This is a unconditional sacrificial love. In other words, it's not a feelings based or situation type of love. It is a unconditional love. It's a love that often, more often than not, requires an element of sacrifice, sacrificial living. Putting, uh, putting someone else above my wishes, hopes, dreams, desires. It's that type of love. And so number one in your notes, we got, we got a lot to get through. So here we go. Number one, agape love is not an optional quality. It's not optional. It's not for super Christians. It's not for the ones that get the gold star and the report card. It is for every single follower of Jesus Christ. It is core. If we don't do it, it renders everything else we do useless. It's everything. It's not optional. There isn't a moment in time where you can go, God, can I not love this person? And he goes, yeah, you've had a tough week. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> nope. Unconditional love, agape love, is not an optional quality. Jesus said it this way in John 13, verse 34 and 35. He said, a new command I give you. He's talking to his disciples. He says, love one another as, get this, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. As Jesus Christ has loved the disciples, he's looking at them and saying, you go and pass this on. Now, tax collector, you betray your people constantly and you thrive off of it. You need to go and love people the way I love you. And when you see me walk into the homes of sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, take note of that. I'm not promoting their lifestyle, but I am loving them because there's a better way of living. 
The way that you see me love people, you need to go and love people. And, and so he says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35, by this, meaning everything he just said, by this, everyone will know that you're my, my disciples. If, circle, highlight, underline, if, that's a giant if, if you love one another. I thought it was the way we vote, the t-shirts we wear, the type of music that we listen to, the TV shows we don't watch, my Christian ties and Christian outfits. I thought it was all of that stuff. Turns out I was way wrong. Jesus, if he's a credible source, <laughs> love one another as I have loved you, unconditionally and sacrificially. I was focused on everything else. Um, I think it's funny because sometimes Christians, we're a funny bunch. We have to admit that. Uh, sometimes, I have to laugh because it makes me cry. <laughs> sometimes Christians get together and go, how come the culture doesn't want anything to do with our message or our Jesus or our community? And then we feel better about ourselves because we give answers like, well, it's because their hearts are hard. And I just wonder in a moment of transparency, could it be because we're not loving like Jesus? Could we be humble enough to hold the mirror and say, mm, I might have some work to do? Instead of blaming, well, it's their fault that they don't know Jesus. I, I think it might be on us. I think it might be on us. And I always get pushback when I talk about this thing because people go, well, what if I'm right on the issue? Listen, you might be right on the issue, but the way you treat your fellow brother and sister in Christ, let's just focus on people in the church who believe in Jesus like you do. The way you treat people that are wrong makes you wrong because you're not loving. Ask anyone who's married, they totally get this. You ever been right in an argument and you were like, I am so right. I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And you kind of throw a fit like a child, but you're right. And you look at your spouse and you go, I'm right. And they look at you and go, yep. And they walk away because we're wrong in the relationship because we were not loving. Jesus said, people will know that you're a follower of me by the way you love one another. Not if you're right. That is so, so important for us. Loving is more important than being right. Uh, in Revelation chapter two, verses one through five, the chapter talks about a church that has lost its loving feeling. They have lost their love. They've got a report card. They got all the checks, all the AAs, all the, all the great scores, but they are not loving one another. And, and what it says later as you read through it, it says, go back and do the things you used to do. See, this isn't a feeling. Love requires an action. It's not optional. It requires an action. I'm going to read you verses four through seven. These are all action words. Here we go. Verse four, first Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And here we go. Here we go. It does not dishonor others. Quick pause when we talk about social media posts that Christians post. Where do we think we are right and blessing other people when we post things that dishonor other human beings that are made in the image of God that Jesus has died for? We are wrong and it is sinful, even if you're right. We post things online as representatives of Jesus Christ. We will post things online that degrade other human beings that Jesus loves unconditionally. And we need to have enough love for one another to look each other in the eyes and go, that's wrong. 
take down the post. I'm amazed at churches. I'm not just shining the spotlight here. I'm, every church is on blast in America right now. I am so amazed at Christians that will gather in the name of Jesus Christ and we will say, those people are not welcome. Now we don't utter those words, but in our actions, in the things we post online, in the conversations we have at cars and coffee shops, we say, they're not welcome. And we know this because if certain people were to show up in our church, whoa, we would be concerned, wouldn't we? They're here. Some people might even protest. You, you take politicians, take celebrities, take fi, uh, famous business people, right? When they show up, they feel already that they're not invited here. Why? Because people in the name of Jesus have told them that they're worthless. They're idiots. They're horrible human beings. Why would they come here anyways? And I think Jesus would say, this is my church. All are welcome here. Everyone that wants to know about my son, Jesus, he or she can be here. And friends, when we get off and we think we're so happy and doing things because we posted something, we have dishonored another human being made in the image of God. And that is wrong and it is not loving. And we need to look each other in the eyes and say, you know what? Maybe there's a better way. Take down the post. It's divisive. He goes on. He says, it's not self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. You ever post something online out of anger? Am I the only one? Keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. In other words, do not give up. Do not give up. What if we just apply that in our parenting and in our marriages? Don't quit. Keep going. Be patient. Be kind with the other person. What if we did this in our relationships when we had disagreements? I'm telling you, keep going. Push through the awkwardness. Have another cup of coffee. Have another round. Get together. I know you did it last week, but here we go. Round two, get together. Have the conversation over a cup of coffee or tea or water or go for a bike ride, whatever it is. Push through. Don't quit. Why? Because Jesus did not quit with me. He did not quit with you. He does not quit on his love for one another. And we represent Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We do not quit. Number two in your notes, agape love is an action, not an emotion. It is a thing that we do. It's a thing we do. You say, well, what if I don't feel like it? It's not as if God's up there in heaven going, I don't feel like it. So again, you get a pass. No, 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 no. It's, do you remember Jesus in the garden before he went to the cross? He didn't feel like it. He said, Father, if there's any other way, if we can do this any other way, would you take this cup from me? Meaning, I don't want to go and do this. But nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Love is an action. It is not a feeling. This agape love, do the action, and I promise you, I promise you, given enough time and enough action, the feelings will come. Amen. I promise you they will. I promise you they will. Well, what if we don't like the person? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What if we did that for a day? What, what if we did that for a day? I think we'd be better off. Number three, agape love puts the needs and interests of others first. And I'm coming in hard. I'm so sorry. But I, again, I went on vacation to the conference, so <laughs> I got a lot to say. It puts others first. Uh, here's a question. What does your spouse need from you? What do your coworkers need? Leaders in the room, what do the people you're leading need? Fathers, what do your sons and daughters need? Moms, what do your kiddos need? 
People that you're sitting next to, what do they need? How can you bless them today? We'll keep going. First Corinthians 13 says this, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, this is Jesus, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face Jesus. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known by Jesus. And listen to this, verse 13. He says, and now these three remain. All these other things are going to pass away, but these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And that's the order I, I grew up believing in. It's all about your faith in Jesus, hope in his return, and then we're going to go and love people. But listen to what he says. He finishes, he finishes it by saying, but the greatest of these is love. I got the order wrong. The greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. I can do all these things in the world, but if I do not have love, I have nothing. So I put together a quiz. This is for you to do with people that love you, who have the strength to go and be honest to you. By the way, later today, I'm going to go through this with my spouse. Buckle up for some difficult conversations. By the way, love is not weakness. I hope we all know this, right? It requires a lot of strength to love and be vulnerable and ask for people to point things out. Here's a quick little quiz to help all of us out. Number one, here's the question. Am I harsh? Do I come across harsh? Do I have a history, a pattern of being harsh with people? Because love is patient and it's kind. Here's another question you need to have someone else answer for you and to you. Number two, do I have to win? Do I have to win? Meaning, um, do I have to be in control? Do I have to have the last word? Do things have to go my way on my terms, on my timeline? Or can I submit and put someone else above it? Because remember, love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. Number three, another question you can ask, am I self-centered? Am I self-centered? <laughs> my uncle is here. Uh, he's not here now. He will be here. But um, there's a legendary story in my family of my grandpa teaching my uncle and my dad how to play a game called Giveaway checkers. Giveaway checkers. Do you ever play this game before? I thought this was a thing that everybody played. Apparently not. My family's weird. The idea is that you win the game by losing. You put yourself in a position where the other person can jump you. You win the game when you have lost everything. My grandpa is a genius. What if we applied that to our lives, to our relationships, to our marriages, to the way we interact with perfect strangers? See, we, we can win by losing. And the only way we can do that is if we're not self-centered. And if we don't always have to win. We've got to be about other people. Amen. Number four, do I have a short fuse? Not if you're passionate. I'm very passionate. <laughs> do you see how I just justified that? It's your emotions. Some of us, well, it's, it's my ethnicity. And you're like, ah, no, you're just mean. Uh, number five, am I cynical? Have you lost hope? Have you stopped persevering? See, Paul's writing to a church and he says, hey, this one thing, you're trying to be unified. And the only way you're going to stay unified is if you love one another, like Jesus loved one another, because it's screwing everything up. You've got these great gifts that you're supposed to use for other people and bless them and love them that way, but you're using it for yourself. And here's why this matters. We're going to jump to chapter 11. We're taking communion today. 
And here's why this whole love thing matters. It is so vitally important. Verse 17, this is what Paul says. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. (laughs) Meaning when you assemble as a church and you do church stuff, it is not good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another remains drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. He's trying to unify the church. He says, listen, all of us are here because we're sinful people in need of a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. We come together and we go, do you know what he did on the cross? It changes everything. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, but because of Jesus, this is what we're unified in. This is what we're unified in. We're unified in this, in this, in this, in this, in Jesus. But when they come together to do the act that every Christian comes and we now are equal, we're all on the same playing field. I don't care how old you are, your economic status, your ethnicity, your sexuality. I don't care what it is. We all come together and we say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior named Jesus. We come here to the level playing field. And what Paul is saying is some of you get there early and you have your own separate meeting and you eat all the food to the point where you drink all the wine and you get drunk and people go hungry. How is that loving like Jesus? Can I, can I try to put it in like our context? We come together and, and we paid for the person behind us to get a cup of coffee. And when we're checking out in line, we let someone else go ahead in front of us. And we prayed an extra five minutes this week. And, and, and I memorized my verse that I was supposed to memorize this week. And I gave a little bit more in the offering plate. And we're going through all these hoops. And I'm singing louder during the worship music than I did last week. So that's good. There's progress, right? And he goes, but you don't love the people that you associate with. You're doing acts, you're checking boxes, but you do not love them unconditionally the way I love them. And he's going, that's wrong. And if we are not careful, friends, come on. I'm preaching to me as much as I am to everyone in the room and online. This is a me thing. Don't, don't be deceived for one second here. When we don't do that, we're not representing Jesus well at all. We have to love one another. So here's what we're going to do. I've gone way over on time. Band, please come up because when you come up and play, um, I, I get off the stage. So <laughs> it's like at those award shows, like there's the music. Oh, I got to go. Here's what I want to do. Um, We have to get to the point where we're frustrated with not loving well. Because it's so much more important than how we use our spiritual gifts. We have to get to that point where the way we love other people matters tremendously to us. And our hearts are broken when we make fun of, when we dishonor, when we ridicule, when we're not patient with, when we're not kind with other people in the church. Especially those outside of our church. We can do better We can do better. And not only can we do better, we are commanded to do better. And the God that died on that cross lives inside of me and lives inside of you. And he will empower us to do better. 
Some of us, before you get in your car, you need to look at someone who's in this room and you sit on that side and they sit on this side. You haven't talked to months. You need to come to one another at the end of this service and say, I'm sorry. I know it's been months ago, but I'm sorry for what I did. And I admit that it hurts you. And in love, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And someone else on the other end needs to go, yes, but do you not understand how hard it is for me to forgive you? So I'm gonna forgive you for about 10 minutes because I think that's all I got. And then I'm gonna try again at minute 11. And I hope, and I'm gonna pray that God will help me to continually forgive you. We have to reconcile relationships. We have to pray for one another. We have to bear one another's burdens because when the outside world looks at the body of Christ, they need to see a fully functional, live and loving body and not something that is sickly and they don't wanna be a part of. I'm telling you, this is the most important thing. And I'm sorry I went long. I'm going to pray. If you got to go, go and get your kids and go to lunch and do your thing. If you can hang with us, please hang with us. But I'm telling you, we have to understand this. This is everything. This is everything. I came to know Jesus, not because someone walked me through a list of morality that I clearly did not match up. I didn't come to know Jesus and have my life radically changed because I memorized passages. I came to know Jesus because there were people that invested in my life that sat down with me and said, there's a better way. His name is Jesus. And I said, I can't match up to that. And they say, you don't have to. He loves you anyways. And I'm telling you, I grew up in church. I never heard that. I never heard it because I was focused on other things. And I want to be the guy and what little influence I have, I want to be the guy that says, you are welcome at church because we love you. I know you're a sinner. Guess what? So am I. We got room. We got more seats. Come on in. We're going to find a God that loves us unconditionally. And I will do my best to love you unconditionally. We may not agree. My life was radically changed because there's a man named Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. You took the time to sit with a high school student. And you prayed for me and you walked me through the scriptures that I didn't understand. You showed me what it was to take time out of your schedule and be available. And when we disagreed on things and when I was mad at you, you were consistent. And you modeled Jesus for me and it has changed my life. I don't wanna be the Christian that's angry. I don't wanna be the Christian that's yelling at people. I don't wanna be the Christian that's mad all the time, that's looking down my nose at other people and if they would just think and walk and act and talk like me, then they would have a great life too. I want them to know Jesus. And so here it is, and I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We're gonna go into communion. And in this time, would you not rush it? Would you come, would you take the elements and would you sit down and just say, God, would you show me where I'm unloving? And would you give me a vision of how to correct it? And I promise you, he will. I promise you, he will. So Lord, would you speak to us this moment? We have fallen short in so many ways. But your love has been so consistent. Father, would you show us a better way? And I pray, Lord, I pray that people that are so far from you, that are broken, that are hurting, that have not experienced love, that when they come in contact from people from your church, their lives would be radically changed. And it's because of what you have done on the cross. Speak to us, guide us this moment, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. When you are ready, you can come on up and grab the elements.